Welcome to the NTEB Radio Bible Study with your host and Bible teacher, Jeffrey Grider. Rightly divided, dispensationally correct, and standing on the authority of the King James Holy Bible. This program is brought to you by NowTheEndBegins.com. And good evening, everybody. Happy Sunday, and welcome to this edition of Rightly Dividing. My name is Jeff Greider. I am the editor-in-chief of NowTheEndBegins.com, and tonight, for the next two hours, I have the honor and the privilege of being your radio host and Bible teacher. Tonight's topic, the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church versus the authority of the King James Holy Bible. As a faithful Roman Catholic student for 12 years, I was trained in all the ways that the Virgin Mary was co-equal with Jesus Christ the Savior. She was the gatekeeper to his presence, and if you wanted him, you had to have a relationship with her first. Teachings about the Virgin Mary were equal to, and in some places, greater than teachings about Christ. What I didn't know during this time of my life, however, that nearly all of it was not found in the Bible, any Bible. Jeremiah 7, verse 18, the children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. On this episode, we look at some bedrock teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and compare what they teach to what is found in the pages of the Bible. We will look at the Mass, the Adoration of the Eucharist, the Virgin Mary, the Saints, Purgatory, and many other such Catholic teachings to see if their origins come from the Bible or from some other place. If a Catholic teaching agrees with the Bible, we will agree with that teaching. If it disagrees with the Bible, we will throw it out. Our authority is God's preserved word from Genesis to Revelation rightly divided. Anything outside of that is vain religion. Now, if you're a Roman Catholic like I was for 30 years, we invite you to come and see how much of what you've been taught lines up with the Bible. You just might be surprised. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for a a great Sunday service today, a sweet spirit in the chat room, and uh, everybody all excited about the new jukebox on Spotify, and, uh, and they should be, Lord. All those songs lift up your name and give glory to you. We've been pre- uh, playing them for years on all the broadcasts that we do, and it's a blessing to have them in a place where everybody can just play them and listen to them uh, any time of the day or night that they want to do that. And Lord, as we open up your preserved scripture tonight and we look at the teachings of the Bible and we compare them to the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church to see, Lord, that that church has 1.5 billion followers. Could it be possible that the bulk of what they teach is wrong? Well, we're going to look at that tonight and Lord, you lead us into all truth And you show us from the pages of your preserved word what the truth is. And we'll thank you and praise you and give you all the honor and the glory for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. 
Well, good evening, everybody. Everybody is excited about the new NTEB jukebox. If you look on the bottom of every single article, you will find that jukebox on top of the comment section. And uh, we have put that on 10,000 plus article pages. Also, on the main page for the chat room, right on top of the podcast player for this program, you will see a bright blue box and you will find the NTEB jukebox there as well. So um, it's a labor of love and Lori and I are very glad to bring this jukebox to you. We've been working pretty hard on it and uh, it contains all the great songs and hymns that we've been playing um, since at least 2012, 2011. And uh, in the vast majority of cases, we were able to find the exact song with the exact version that you're used to hearing. In a couple of cases, we weren't able to do that. We have the song, but not the particular version that you may be accustomed to. And uh, we will keep expanding the jukebox. There's no reason why we can't have a couple of hundred songs in that. Um, But just to let you know, right now, as it stands, we have 68 songs with four hours and 41 minutes of playing time. Uh, So that will absolutely keep you going during the day and um, you can shuffle the songs and you can you don't have to play them in the order that we have them and uh, we just sincerely hope that it will be a blessing to you and again we're very happy to provide it we've been talking about it for a long time and technology um, has just made it really easy to do that Charlton is asking um, will Kelsey's song be able to be put into the jukebox we are looking into how to upload to the jukebox and obviously there will be copyright issues so i don't know how easy that it will be to upload songs like that but we're going to give it a shot i would very much love to have kelsey's song in the jukebox and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get it all figured out now look If you're a Roman Catholic and you're listening tonight, we're not here to bash Roman Catholicism. We're not here to make fun of anybody. We don't think that we're superior to you or better than you. Uh, But the main difference is we've spent a lot of time studying the scriptures. And when I was in Roman Catholic school for 12 years, we didn't do a whole lot of Bible study. We had classes that were called Bible study classes, but we really didn't study anything about the Bible. Uh, If you're a Roman Catholic, what you've been trained on is something called the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, and it's, it's what they believe. And we're going to look at the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church tonight. And we're going to look at the Roman Catholic um, doctrines about Mary. And then we're going to look at the Bible to see if we can find any of those things. Now, I'll make you a promise. If I can find things 
within Roman Catholic teaching that can also be found within the pages of my King James Bible, then I will agree with, promote, and and um, uh, be a witness to those teachings. But if when we look inside our Bibles tonight and we compare it to Roman Catholic teaching, if if the Bible says the opposite of what the Roman church says, then we have to throw it out the window. We have to stick with what the Bible has to say. And uh, we are Bible believers here. Now, hey, maybe you go to a Baptist church and that's great, but maybe you go to a non-denominational, maybe you go to a Lutheran church or a Methodist church. doesn't matter what church that you go to. Uh, We are not here to promote a denomination. If you're a Roman Catholic, you need to know that Now the End Begins is not a Protestant organization. I am not a Protestant. I am not part of Protestantism. I never have been. I spent 30 years as a Roman Catholic and I spent the next 32 years um, as a, as a Bible-believing Baptist. Uh, the Baptist Church was never part of the Reformation. Uh, we did a whole Bible study on the Reformation last week, and if you haven't listened to it, we highly advise that you go back and, and at least listen to some of it because uh, we talk a lot about the Reformation and Martin Luther and John Calvin and all those things. But but this ministry is not a Protestant ministry. I am not a Protestant. Uh, Lori is not a Protestant. The, we, we are Bible believers. And as such, we believe when you open up God's preserved word, Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, where the word of a king is, there is power. And I have the word of a king. Um, it's called my King James 1611 Authorized Version Holy Bible. And I have that word, that word of a king. And the vast majority of people who listen to these programs, they have the word of a king as well. So, If you're Catholic tonight, you are our honored guest. We are not here to pick on you. We are not here to bash you. Uh, We are here to, to show you what the Bible teaches about some of the things that you've been trained to believe in the Roman Catholic Church. And I trust that tonight's Bible study will be a blessing to you. Speaking of music, and I've I've talked about this many, many times. When I first got saved back in 1991, and I began to listen to Christian music for the first time in my life, there were two songs that immediately had an impact on me as a young baby Christian. The first song was a song called Beulah Land by a group called Greater Vision. And then the next song was a song called People Need the Lord. Uh, Now, we were able to get both of those songs into the jukebox, and I believe the People Need the Lord 
Um, that is Steve Green. Yes, I am correct about that. So, um, I want to play both those songs for you right now. Uh, absolutely rock solid, beautiful, God honoring, uplifting songs. Beulah Land and People Need the Lord. Enjoy.
two of my absolute favorite songs from the time period when I first got saved back in the early 1990s, Beulah Land from Greater Vision uh, and People Need the Lord from Steve Green. Two songs that you will find on the new NTEB jukebox on Spotify. You will also find this jukebox embedded at the bottom of every single article page that we have on NowTheEndBegins.com. If you have a mobile device, you can go to Spotify and get the app. It's completely free, doesn't cost you a penny, and uh, you can listen to all the great songs and hymns that you have heard at NTEB over the years, and uh, we trust that that will be a blessing to you. We did the entire prayer list earlier today for the Sunday service, not going to do it all again, but if you have a prayer request or a praise report Please put that into the chat room, and we'll be very, very happy to lift that up at the bottom of the hour. In just a few minutes, we're going to go into a small time of prayer and praise, and then right in to tonight's Bible study, the traditions and teachings of the Roman Catholic Church compared to the authority of the King James Bible.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for all these that you've gathered here tonight, uh, listening live and uh, participating in the chat room. We thank you for all the people who will be listening in the archives. And we just pray, God, that something will be said and done tonight to lead a lost soul to you, and something will be said and done tonight to get a saved soul on fire for you, to get something done that will make it through the judgment seat. And Lord, we come before you tonight with our prayers and praises. Heath, please pray for me and Grandma. Uh, We were around someone who has come down with COVID. I've never had it, and I'm not worried. It's just Grandma, she can't breathe, um, as it is just found out about this. So please pray for Heath and his Grandma to be safe from COVID. 
Shar says, praise the Lord, my mother-in-law, Jimmy's mom, got saved this morning at church. And weren't we just talking about um, uh, Colby and Jimmy, and now Jimmy's mom got saved, uh, truly, uh, in the book of Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And uh, what a blessing that that is, and we rejoice um, uh, with Shar and Jimmy and everyone there. Uh, what a blessing that is. Noah, good evening. I need prayer. I had a relapse of the bronchitis that I first had around the 1st of December. My lower back pain is high, which makes me more miserable. Thank you. Make sure that you're taking Manuka honey with cinnamon. Any upper respiratory illness or disease, you need a high grade of raw honey, Manuka honey, if you can get it, and you got to swirl that in with a fairly generous portion of Ceylon cinnamon. We do that here at home, and it really works, and it really helps, uh, but we are very happy to pray for Noah. Uh, Charlie on the highway. Uh, please pray for peace in my household. A lot of adjustments are going to have to be made in a short period of time. Amen. Annette, my mom has stomach cancer. She says to me that she prays to Mary because she loves her. My prayer, she's not ready to pass away until she gets saved. I'm faithfully trusting the Lord. Amen. Jersey Girl says, a friend of mine met a 28-year-old Muslim woman who lived in the apartment next to her son in Detroit. She was married at the age of nine in Iraq. Somehow she ended up divorced and has two kids. My friend witnessed to her one time and gave her a book called Holy Different by Noni Darwish and uh, has been praying for her for almost two years. A few weeks ago, her son sent a message from her telling her to thank her and that Jesus is now her Lord and Savior. What a blessing that is. Amen. Wade, I didn't make it to church tonight. I've been battling the pain of two torn rotator cuffs and ruptured discs in my neck and back. I go March 1st to see a neurosurgeon, but praise the Lord, I've been able to work. Uh, the, the pain at night is excruciating. Thank you all for your prayers. Also, please remember uh, uh, Joyce as she begins chemotherapy. Um, she's battling a, a tumor in her breast. Remember my brother Jimmy um, as he continues to go through rehab for some very serious medical conditions. And um, oh, Rob Beatty as he continues to um, sort through the issues that are associated with colon cancer. Um, Heavenly Father, for all of these prayers and for the unspoken prayers of our hearts and for all the prayers on the list from this afternoon from our Sunday service, we ask you to work and move and heal and guide as only you can. Um, bodies need to be healed and restored. Relationships uh, need to be reconciled. And Lord, you need to get into the midst of all that and you need to do it. Lord, we confess our dependence upon you. And Father God, we commit this time to you, these prayers, these praises in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. Having some lively chat in the chat room tonight. Uh, Our subject matter is, if you're just tuning in, the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church versus the authority of the King James Holy Bible. Now, just so you know, and in the interest of time, we do not have time to go through the differences between the King James Bible and the Douay Reims Bible. That is a subject for another day. Um, But what we do have time for is we have time to look at Catholic doctrine. The word doctrine simply means teaching. Um, Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I know that you don't think of the Apostle Paul as a prophet, but he sure was. (laughs) And he prophesied a lot of things. Maybe one night for a Bible study, it might be interesting to do all the prophecies of the Apostle Paul. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and and doctrine. That's Bible teaching rightly divided, 2 Timothy 2.15, for the church age. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, Paul is talking about the future, he is prophesying, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine sound Bible teaching for the church age. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall be they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So one of the main things that we need to keep in mind as we're looking at the doctrines of the Catholic Church compared to the doctrines of uh the Bible, and we're going to see where the Catholic Church lines up or misses the mark with the Bible. And so the first thing that I want to talk about tonight is something called the Catechism of the Council of Trent. And catechism is a word that we absolutely associate with the Roman Catholic Church. If I said to you, we are going to do a catechism study, you would never think that that had anything to do with any Baptist church. If I said the word catechism to you, if you were a former Catholic, the first thing that you would say, ah, I remember all those CCD classes. Um, And the word catechism is one of those words that is almost wholly associated with with the Roman Catholic Church. So, I want to talk to you about an event that took place. It's called the Council of Trent. And this happened in the year 1545. And the things that were decided at the Council of Trent are still in effect today. 
Um, one of the things that all popes say is that the teaching or the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church never change. So if that's true, and they say it's true, that's not something that I could prove or disprove from the Bible. But if you were going to have a pope or any pope say that the teaching of the Catholic Church never changes, then going back to something that took place in 1545 wouldn't really make much of a difference. So let's take a look at what happened in 1545 at the Council of Trent. Um, The Council of Trent was established because they wanted to really make sure that as Roman Catholics, they understood the doctrine that they were teaching and they wanted to codify it. They wanted to get all the people together and get everybody in one room, kind of like Acts chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem, where the dispensation was obviously changing. So they got Peter and James and and uh, uh, Paul and got everybody together in one place and they just hashed everything out. Um, so what is the Council of Trent? It is one of the most seminal movements in the Roman Catholic Church. The Council of Trent was held between 1545 and 1563 in Trent, which is now northern Italy, and it was the 19th ecumenical council of the Roman Catholic Church. It was prompted by the Protestant Reformation. And so the Council of Trent was the formal Roman Catholic reply to the doctrinal challenges of the Protestant Reformation. The Roman Catholic Church said one thing, Martin Luther comes along, he takes his 95 theses um, and he nails them to the door of the Wittenberg, whatever that thing was, monastery. Um, John Calvin wrote his doctrines of the Christian religion. And uh, so, the Council of Trent was to define Roman Catholic doctrinal teachings, and it was specifically designed to refute what they said was the error of Protestantism. So, I want to draw your attention to three things. The first thing is the Council of Trent, Session 6, Canon number nine. And I'm going to read that for you right now. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. Um, That word anathema means to be um, cast into outer darkness, uh, to be cursed forever, uh, to be kicked out of the Roman Catholic Church. So, 
Session number six, canon number nine, says that if anybody says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, let him be forever cursed. Now, what does the Bible say about justification by faith? Turn to Titus chapter three. Turn to Titus chapter three. Let's look at verses five through seven. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, on top of that, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, let's look at verses 8 through 10. Paul says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, Council of Trent, Session 6, Canon number 9. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, let him be anathema. So, The Council of Trent, in this session, they decided that they do not believe the writings of the Apostle Paul. They are 100% against what the Bible says is the process of being saved and justified in salvation by grace through faith without works. Let's look at session number six, canon number 14. Council of Trent, session six, canon number 14. If anyone saith that man is truly absolved from his sins and justified, because that he assuredly believed himself absolved and justified, or that no one is truly justified but he who believes himself justified, and that by this faith alone absolution and justification are effected, let him be anathema. So, Council of Trent, session number 6, canon number 14, says that man cannot be absolved and justified from his sins by faith alone. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 16. Paul says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And again, 
the Council of Trent is in 100% opposition to the clear, easy-to-understand doctrinal teachings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Let's look at one more thing. I don't want to spend too much time on the Council of Trent, but it's important because you need to know where these things come from. They didn't just appear. They haven't always been. And when you look at the history of where the Roman Catholic Church comes from, it didn't exist before the mid-300s. The Christian Church was thriving and growing in the face of Roman persecution from the first century. And we'll talk a little bit later in the Bible study tonight about where the Roman Catholic Church comes from. And did the Roman Catholic Church give us our Bible? They didn't, and we'll show you why. All right, Council of Trent, Session 6, Canon number 33. Let's see if they do any better with this one. So far, uh, they have taken two shots at the bat, and they have lost two times. Session 6, Canon 33 says, If anyone saith that by the Catholic doctrine teaching touching justification by this holy synod inset forth in this present decree, the glory of God or the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ are in any way derogated from and not rather from the truth of our faith and the glory in fine of God and of Jesus Christ are rendered more illustrious let him be anathema. Now, I have to read that again because I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and if you're a little confused, you're in good company. Um, let's read session six, canon number 33, one more time uh, to see if it will make any more sense the second time that we read it. If anyone saith that by the Catholic doctrine touching justification, by this holy synod inset forth in this present decree, the glory of God or the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ are in any way derogated from, and not rather that the truth of our faith and the glory of fine of God and of Jesus Christ are rendered more illustrious, let him be anathema. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Basically, session 6, canon 33 is telling you that you cannot have access to the grace of God without the Roman Catholic Church. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, the Roman Catholic Church stated multiple times doctrinal teachings that they believe to be true, and then they have pronounced a curse upon anybody 
who does not believe what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, and then we compared those teachings to the Bible, we saw in the first three examples that we gave you, the Roman Catholic Church in the 1545 Council of Trent is 100% in opposition to the writings of the Apostle Paul. This is one of the reasons why if you ever spent time in the Catholic Church, you're going to hear a lot about Peter. You're going to hear a lot about Matthew, the tax collector. You're going to hear about Luke. You're not going to hear a whole lot about the Apostle Paul in the Roman Catholic Church. And the reason for that is the Council of Trent decided that they do not believe what the Apostle Paul wrote. And so in 1545, the Council of Trent, which has been upheld and confirmed by every pope since 1545, up to and including the present pope, Pope Francis, uh, they have declared and affirmed and reaffirmed their opposition to the doctrines of the Apostle Paul. We have to take our first break of the night, but when we come back, we are going to look into the doctrines of Mary. The Roman Catholic Church has a lot to say about the teachings of the Virgin Mary. They are very dogmatic about this. They um, are very unbending on this. And when we come back, I'm going to show you exactly what the Roman Catholic Church believes about Mary. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible declares to be true about Mary. Uh, We'll be right back after this. number one would always be me I thought I could be what I wanted to be I thought I could build on life sinking sand but I can't even walk without you holding my
Hour two of tonight's Bible study. If you're just tuning in, the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church versus the authority of the King James Holy Bible. And uh, we are looking at Roman Catholic doctrinal teachings tonight. So the second thing, in the first hour, we looked at something called the Council of Trent, which took place in 1545, and it was the official Roman Catholic response to the Protestant Reformation. And we showed you by comparing the canons of the Council of Trent uh, to the writings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you could see that the Roman Catholic Church was in direct opposition to the Bible. And not only that, they pronounced a curse and anathema upon anybody who believed what the Bible said over the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And I've shared with you this story. Um, I'll share it quickly again. About a year after I got saved, I got saved in 91, so about 1992, I got a phone call from uh, Father Mike from the Catholic Church that I was raised in. He had heard that I had gotten saved and wanted to know if I was interested in leading a a young person's Bible study at the Catholic Church. And I went there and met with him and with Father Kevin, and um, everything was going great until I said to them that if I was really going to lead this Bible study, that we were going to let the Bible have the last word, meaning that the basis of our authority was going to be the Bible. Now, if you're having a Bible study, you would expect that the Bible would be your source of authority. And yet, Father Kevin and Father Mike looked very crestfallen. They looked very disappointed. Father Kevin took me into the library room of the rectory, and he showed me this very large wall filled with beautifully bound books. And um, I looked at them, and I, I honestly didn't really know what they were. 
And I asked him, I said, what, what are these books? And he says, these are the books that we teach at Bible study. And none of them were the Bible in any edition. It wasn't the Douay-Rheims Bible. It wasn't the King James. It wasn't good news for a modern man. None of the books that Father Kevin and Father Mike wanted me to teach from were the Bible. They were the writings of the early church fathers from the 400s, the 500s, the 600s, and all the way up through the Dark Ages. And so uh, that was one of my very, very first eye-opening discoveries that there is a huge paradigm difference between what the Catholic Church teaches and what the Bible declares to be true. So the second thing that we want to talk about tonight in the interest of time is we want to talk about something called the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God. The solemnity of Mary, the mother of God. And Pope Francis is a huge, huge follower and believer of and believer in the Virgin Mary. Not the Virgin Mary from the Bible. And that's one thing that you have to be very careful to understand. When your priest talks to you about the Virgin Mary, they're not talking about the little Jewish handmaid back in the book of Luke that was obedient to what the angel told her God wanted to do with her and through her. That's not the Mary that they're talking about. The Mary that the Roman Catholic Church is talking about is somebody who is completely different. For example, this is the prayer, and I'm quoting from an article that we wrote on January 2nd of 2019. The headline was, Pope Francis declares in Mass on Tuesday that worshiping Mary is not optional and that she provides all blessings as the mother of God. So this is what Pope Francis said about Mary back in 2019. Take us by the hand, Mary, clinging to you, we will pass safely through the straits of history. Lead us by the hand to discover the bond that unites us. Gather us beneath your mantle in the tenderness of true love where the human family is reborn. We fly to thy protection, Holy Mother of God. Now, one of the things that... Roman Catholics will tell you is that they do not worship Mary and that they do not pray to Mary. That is absolutely not true. They pray to Mary all the time. And let me just give you a couple of those prayers that are official Roman Catholic prayers that they pray to Mary. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about is the thing that is called 
the Hail Mary. Uh, that is not a prayer. That is a conversation that the angel had with Mary. That is not a prayer that you can pray. That is a conversation that the angel had with Mary. Um, so let me just give you a couple of prayers that they pray to Mary in the Catholic Church. O Mary, Mother of God, as you are above all creatures in heaven and on earth, more glorious than the cherubim, more noble than any here below, Christ has given you to his people firm bulwark and protectress to shield and save sinners who fly to you. Therefore, O Lady, all-embracing refuge, we solemnly recall your sweet protection and beg the Christ forever for his mercy. Here's another prayer. Holy Mary, if thou wilt hear thy supplicant, I put myself under the shelter of thy shield. When falling in the slippery path, thou art my smooth supporting handstaff. There is no hound in fleetness or in chase, north wind or rapid river, as quick as the mother of Christ to the bed of death, to those who are entitled to her kindly protection. And I'll give you one more. O Mary, my mother, I kneel before you with heavy heart. The burden of my sins oppress me. The knowledge of my weakness discourages me. I am beset by fear and temptation of every sort. O Mother of Mercy, have pity on me in my distress. You are all-powerful with your divine Son. That means that she is equal with Him. He can refuse no request of your immaculate heart. Show yourself a true mother to me by being my advocate before his throne. Obtain for me then, O mother of hope, the grace of true sorrow for my sins. And it goes on and on and on and on. Now, those are actual prayers that Roman Catholics pray to Mary every hour of every day. Now, the Bible says this about having a mediator. In the Roman Catholic Church, Mary is the mediator. She is what is called the co-redemptrix. What does the Bible say? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, let's read verses 1 through 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus 
who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. One thing you will notice about those verses that I just read to you from the Bible, not one mention of Mary. Now, you can look as hard as you want to look. You can look anywhere in the book of Acts, the Council of Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost, the upper room. You'll see Mary in the upper room. What you won't see is any Bible verse anywhere that tells you doctrine from the Virgin Mary. She never told anybody anything. The only thing she ever said to anybody is found at the wedding feast of Canaan in the Gospel of John. Uh, Turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And let's read verses 1 through 5. And I will give for you the only place where Mary gives anybody a command. John chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. And the third day there was a marriage in in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. This is, and you can, if you have a paper Bible, John 2, 5, highlight it, underline it. And and you can put, if you have a wide margin Bible, uh, you can put next to it, the only command of Mary. Don't put the Virgin Mary, because she's not a virgin at this point. But, John chapter, and I'll explain that in just a moment. John chapter 2, verse 5, this is the only place anywhere in the Bible that Mary tells anybody to do anything. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Take a listen to Hollywood actor Jim Caviezel, the man who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. I want you to listen to what he says about Mary. And this is something that hundreds of millions of Roman Catholics believe. Take a listen to Jim Caviezel saying, Mary is the co-redeemer. The passion reveals the obvious, very obvious biblical truth that Mary, like no other, shared in the suffering of her son as co-redemptrix. As St. Teresa of Calcutta exclaimed, of course Mary is the co-redemptrix. She gave Jesus his body. And the offering of his body is what saved us. The scenes of the Passion profoundly depict Our Lady's role as co-redemptrix with Jesus. In fact... 
a well-known Italian journalist stated that the Passion of the Christ could also have been justifiably called the story of Mary co-redemptrix. For example, in the film, it is Mary alone who understands when Jesus has been arrested that, quote, it has begun. What has begun? The unified mission of Jesus, the Redeemer, and Mary. The co-redemptrix to redeem the world. When Mary walks the way of the cross with Jesus, she stands opposite Satan. She is his opponent. Mary's role with Jesus to crush the head of Satan is powerfully dramatized. In the Calvary scene, the dying Redeemer gives his own mother to become the spiritual mother of all peoples. And I'll just stop him right there. Um, What did he just tell you? He told you that the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, was a movie designed to teach to you that Mary is the co-redemptrix. I only let that clip play for 90 seconds, and he said that three times. And um, a lot of Christians love that movie, The Passion of the Christ, and what a great Bible movie. Well, you just heard the main actor in that film tell you that that movie was to promote the agenda and the doctrine that Mary is the co-redemptrix. Obviously, that is not true. The Bible does not say that anywhere. Now, he said this, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Turn to Genesis, and I want to um, take issue with one thing that he said. Genesis chapter 3, and let's read verses 14 and 15. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed." A woman doesn't have seed. Men have seed. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Uh, Turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Now, you may be wondering, why did the the King James Bible in Genesis 3.15, why did it say it? shall bruise thy head, talking about Messiah, uh, talking about the office of Messiah. Um, Luke chapter 2, and um, where is that verse? Maybe it's Luke chapter 1. Yeah, here it is, Luke chapter 1. Verses 34 and 35. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, 
seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So, Luke one thirty five, Genesis 3.15, who is it that battles Satan? Is it Mary? I don't think it can be Mary because Luke just said that um, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and the power of the highest shall overshadow her. And all this is is being done by God. Mary is not actively involved in any of this. The only thing that she's doing is she is submitting her will to the will of God. And in that, Mary is a wonderful role model, not just for women, but for men as well. In in Acts chapter 9, when Saul was knocked down and blinded, And he finally realized that he was talking with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul became the willing servant. But it was God that was working in him and through him. Um, when, When Paul talks about himself, it's in places like Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so, the Roman Catholic teaching is that Mary is the co-redeemer. She is the co-redemptrix. Now, where does this come from? On December 8th in 1854, Pope Pius IX infallibly declared that Mary was divine and commanded Catholics everywhere to worship her. So, the Apostolic Constitution of Pope Pius IX on the Immaculate Conception, given at St. Peter's in Rome, the eighth day of December, 1854, in the eighth year of our pontificate. So, eight years after this man was declared to be Pope, and he was Pope Pius IX, he wrote something called the Ineffabilis Deus. And in this writing, also called a papal bull, Pope Pius IX declared Mary to be born sinless. He says this, and I quote, The Catholic Church, directed by the Holy Spirit of God, is the pillar and base of truth and has ever held as divinely revealed and as contained in the deposit of heavenly revelation concerning the original innocence of the August Virgin meaning Mary, a doctrine which is so perfectly in harmony with her wonderful sanctity and preeminent dignity as the mother of God, uh, and thus has never ceased to explain, to teach, and to foster this doctrine age after age in many ways and by many solemn acts. 
By this most significant fact, the church made it clear that the conception of Mary, not Mary conceiving Jesus, but Mary being born is to be venerated as something extraordinary, wonderful, eminently holy, and different from the conception of all other human beings. So, this is not a Bible teaching. This is something that the Roman Catholic Church declared to be true in 1854. Now, is Mary the mother of God? Absolutely not. Is that expression found anywhere in the Bible? Absolutely not. Turn to Mark chapter 3. Turn to Mark chapter 3. And let's read verses 31 through 35. Mark chapter 3, 31 through 35. Uh, Pope Pius IX just said that Mary was born sinless. The Immaculate Conception is not Jesus Christ, it's Mary. Well, what does Jesus have to say about that? Mark chapter 3, verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Jesus is having a meeting with a group of people. And on the outside of the building is Mary and Mary's other children. And they are calling for the Lord. And the multitude that sat about him, verse 32, said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. You know, you would think if Mary is, is, is who the Roman Catholic Church says that she is, the co-redeemer, the co-redemptrix, the one that we fly to for protection, the one who allows us to have a relationship with her son, you would think that Jesus would immediately stop what he was doing. And he would say, by all means, open the door. Let in my virgin mother. Let her in. But Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, Mark 3.33, he says this, And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother (laughs) or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. He's not talking about his mother and his brethren outside. He is pointing to all the people in that room, and he says, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, these verses are perhaps the greatest verses to refute this idea of Mary being a co-redemptrix. He is saying That if you do the will of God, you are counted on an equal footing with the mother 
of Jesus Christ. Now, he walked the earth as a man for 33 and a half years. He had an earthly mother. His mother's name was Mary. And when he was conceived, she was a virgin. She never knew a man physically. But isn't it astonishing here in Mark chapter 3, Jesus says, yeah, I love my mom, but if you're going to do God's will, you're on an equal footing with her. Now turn to Mark chapter 6. Turn to Mark chapter 6. And look down in verse, well, verse 1. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And they went out from thence and came unto, and and they went out from then. No, one more time. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? They are astonished that this Jesus of Nazareth is able to do all these amazing miracles. And so they say, from whence has this man these things? Meaning, where did he get this ability? And what wisdom is this that is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Check. The brother of James? Check. (laughs) And Joseph and of Judah and of Simon? Check, check, check. And are not his sisters here with us? Check. And they were offended at him. Turn to Psalm chapter 68. Turn to Psalm chapter 68. And you will see that the offense that they were feeling in in Mark chapter 6 is actually part of an Old Testament prophecy. Um, Psalm 68 Where is that verse? No, it's Psalm 69. Yep, Psalm 69. Let's read verses um, 7 through 9. Psalm 69, 7 through 9. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. That's Isaiah 53. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Now, who could that be talking about? For the zeal of thine house, Gospel of John, hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. We have to take our last break of the night, but I think you can clearly see that Mary didn't stay a virgin for very long. But we're going to talk about that when we get back from this break right after this. Shady green pastures So rich and so free God leads His children alone 
But the water's cool flow Bays the weary child feet He leads his children Leads them along Sometimes on the mountain Where the sun shines so bright God leads his children Leads them along Sometimes through the valley Through the darkness of the night The same God Leading those same children along Some through the water Some through the flood Some through the fire But all through the blood some through great sorrow, but it always give them a song, and it's in the night season, and all, all the day long. Won't you let him? Take you through the fire Let him Take you through the flood Let him take you through the fire And we all Must go through the blood Won't you let him Take you through great sorrow He'll always give you a song And it's in the night, in the night, in the night, in the night, in the night season And all, all the day long Oh no, oh no And we are back for the last half hour of tonight's Bible study on the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church versus the um, doctrine found inside your King James Bible. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And while you're turning there, let me just remind you that we've been getting a lot of orders and a lot of requests for free Bibles from places like um, Tanzania and Nigeria, Uganda, the Philippines, and uh, in many other countries as well. And of 
of course, across America. We need your prayers and we need your support. Uh, please go to nowtheendbegins.com and click on any of the donation links and help us. Everything we do here is listener and reader supported. We can only do these Bible studies and podcasts and Sunday services and all the content creation and the articles that we write. Uh, that is all because you pray for this ministry and you financially support this ministry. That's the only way that we can do all these things. So um, if you agree with what this ministry stands for and what we preach and teach, please go to nowtheendbegins.com and click on any of the donate buttons and uh, send us a nice gift and help us to stay on the air and to stay involved and to stay in the game and to keep sending out these Bibles, New Testaments, scripture portions and gospel tracts that we do every single day of the week. Thank you, as always, for your support. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 want to talk to you about something called the Mass, the Roman Catholic Mass. This is from a writing at the Second Vatican Council written by Pope St. Paul VI. It's called Lumen Gentium. And um, I'll just give you one paragraph from this. I, I won't bore you with the details. But this is what the Mass is from a Roman Catholic perspective. Incorporated in the Church through baptism, the faithful are destined by the baptismal character for the worship of the Christian religion. Reborn as sons of God, they must confess before men the faith which they have received from God through the church, taking part in the Eucharistic sacrifice, which is the fount and apex of the whole Christian life. They offer the divine victim to God and offer themselves along with it. Thus, both by reason of the offering and through holy communion, all part, um, all take part in this liturgical service, strengthened by holy communion by the body of Christ. They then manifest in a concrete way that unity of the people of God, which is suitably signified and wondrously brought about by this most august sacrament. And it's called the Lumen Gentium. Now, I want to draw your attention to one particular line from this great work by Pope St. Paul VI at the Second Vatican Council. Taking part in the Eucharistic sacrifice, which is the fount and the apex of the whole Christian life, they offer the divine victim, that's Jesus on the cross, to God and offer themselves along with it. Now, get 1 Corinthians 11 in one hand, and give me the book of Hebrews, um, book of Hebrews, I want something around chapter 10. 
1 Corinthians 11 and book of Hebrews chapter 10. And let's start in the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, let's read verses 11 through 13. Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. Paul says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering sometimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down uh, forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected for them uh, forever them that are sanctified. So Paul says that this great sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is a one-time sacrifice. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read verses um, 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. It's a memorial service, but it's something else as well. Verse 26 says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So, what we call the Lord's Supper, some people call it communion, it is a remembrance of the one-time sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that the book of Hebrews says he made it once And then he sat down on the right hand of God and everybody who believes in him is perfected forever through that one-time sacrifice. Now, let me read for you just that one line from Lumen Gentium by Pope St. Paul VI at the Second Vatican Council, which says, taking part in the Eucharistic sacrifice, which is the fount and apex of the whole Christian life, they offer the divine victim to God. Stop right there. But this man, Hebrews 10, 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, game over, case closed. But in the Roman Catholic Church, it is not game over. It is not case closed. And the main aspect of what they call the Mass is the adoration of the Eucharist. And they offer and re-offer, they call it the non-bloody sacrifice, they 
they offer and re-offer that piece of bread and that alcoholic wine and they are offering the divine victim to God over and over and over and over. I don't know how many millions of Catholic masses you would have said around the world every single year, but it's millions and millions and millions of them. And what are they doing? They are worshiping a piece of bread. They are worshiping wine. And they are sacrificing again and again something that Paul says was a one-time sacrifice never to be repeated. For example, the events in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, those are not events that you can replicate and duplicate. The events that took place in the upper room on the day of Pentecost were a one-time only thing. There was lots of Pentecosts before Acts chapter 2, and there has been nearly 2,000 days of Pentecost since Acts chapter 2. But only the events of one time on one day are the events that you read about in Acts chapter 2. It is not something that that can be replicated, and it's not something that can be duplicated. That doesn't stop certain branches of the charismatic and Pentecostal churches from attempting to recreate those things, just like it doesn't stop the Roman Catholic Church from attempting to recreate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again. Now, this has been a very brief look at Roman Catholic teaching. Um, we didn't have time to talk about re- something called relics. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about relics. They're disgusting. But suffice to say that the Roman Catholic Church is fascinated by the body parts of people that they consider to be Roman Catholic saints. And one of the things that I was taught very early on in my Roman Catholic training was that in the foundation of every single Catholic church, is a relic of a saint, a toenail, a piece of a finger, an ear, a skull, a leg bone, an arm bone, a rib, whatever. Um, They love to take entire bodies of dead saints and they put them in glass coffins and they have the faithful Roman Catholics stopping by and praying over these really disgusting dead bodies. Um, We did a story back in 2023. Thousands of Roman Catholics flocked to worship 
at the dead body of miracle nun sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, whose body did not decay. Now, I don't know what they did to this body to make it not decay. Um, I don't really care what the science behind that is. But it's disgusting. Dead bodies should be buried. And yet, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they are glorified. And uh, this woman, Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, um, she has been dead for four years. And supposedly, her corpse is not showing signs of decay. Um, But if you look closely, it absolutely is. And they have mummified her in some way and sealed her in with some sort of a something. But even if they didn't, um, it is absolutely, these things have nothing to do with the Bible. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Um, God is is he is not well what is that verse hold on before i just mangle it all um to pieces jesus says about the dead let the dead bury the dead but go thou and preach the kingdom of god luke chapter 9 verses 59 and 60 Luke 9:59 and he said unto another follow me but he said lord suffer me first to go and bury my father Jesus said unto him let the dead bury their dead but go thou and preach the kingdom of god um the bible says in another place that he is not a god of the dead he is a god of the living mark chapter 12 Verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. And um, God is not concerned with dead bodies. Heath is asking, I wonder what Jesus meant by that. Let the dead bury the dead. Um When somebody is dead, there's nothing more that they can do. They have left this life and they have gone on to the next life. They are not enjoying their funeral service and any nice things or mean things that you might say about them during that service. They really don't care because they're not listening. They're not there. If they're in heaven, they're not looking down upon you. If they're in hell, they're not straining up forward and trying to hear the words of their own funeral service. And um, C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And this is why we push. This is why we have the free Bible program and Bibles behind bars. Have you ever asked yourself, Why bother giving away all those free Bibles? Why bother giving away all those free gospel tracts and New Testaments and scripture portions? Why would we want to do that? Well, we want to do that 
so unsaved people can get a copy of the word of God and they can get saved so that when they die, Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we give away all those free Bibles and New Testaments uh, so that saved people can learn the word of God and they can be discipled, they can grow, and they can mature as Christians. This is why we focus on these things. But let me tell you, the moment the rapture happens or the moment that you die, your chance to do anything by faith is over. Your chance to get anything done for the Lord is finished. And that verse that I just gave you was Mark 12, 27. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. So this is why we push, push, push while we are still alive and while we can get something done for the Lord. This is why we have Bibles behind bars and this is why we have the free Bible program uh, because we're trying to get something done for the Lord while we yet live. Because when you die, it's all over. Um, One of our street preachers, Mark Bennett, He went home to be with the Lord in 2021. And he got a lot of things done for the Lord. But the day that he died, that stopped. A lot of you remember Bob Lieb from Boaz Baptist Chronicles. He was a man that got a lot of things done for the Lord over many, many decades. But the day came in 2022 where he died and went home to be with the Lord and everything that he was working on stopped. And his ability to get anything more done for the Lord ended. So I hope that this Bible study was a blessing for you tonight. I hope that if you're a Roman Catholic and you are intellectually honest. I think I presented a at least a dozen different cases showing you where the Roman Catholic Church is in direct opposition to the clear teachings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Now, you can believe your priest or your bishop or your monsignor. You can just blindly follow what they tell you to do but you're going to be going against what God has revealed in the Bible. The Catholic Church does not teach the Bible. The Catholic Church teaches Roman Catholic doctrine. The Catholic Church teaches um, what they believe to be true as contained in their catechisms and their creeds and their confessions. But as you can see, none of it lines up with the Word of God. And if you're Catholic, we hope that you prayerfully consider what we presented tonight and that you will do what it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't need the catechism. You don't need sacraments. You don't need the Eucharist, and you don't need a priest to forgive your sins. 
All you need is Jesus Christ and him crucified, died, and buried, and risen again on the third day according to the scriptures. And with that, we've come to the end of our time for tonight. Um, Lord willing, we'll see you back here tomorrow, noon Eastern time, for another Prophecy News podcast. Have a great night, everybody. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow. me